had shared with a number of you that eight years ago, the first Sunday of August, we started 1 Corinthians. And I thought for sure that I was going to finish it up by this Sunday. But there I go thoughting again. As you can tell, if you look at the back of your bulletins, is the outline. There's eight points and we've done two. So, but we're making progress. Making progress. This day we will focus on verse 16, but I will read it through. And then we'll ask the Lord to teach us. Beginning at verse 15, 1 Corinthians 16. Verse 15. Now I urge you, brethren, you know the household of Stephanus, that they were the first fruits of Achaia, that they devoted themselves for ministry to the saints, that you would be, and that you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. I rejoice over the coming of Stephanus and Fortunaeus and Archaeus, because they have supplied what was lacking on your part. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours, therefore acknowledge such men. The churches of Asia greet you, Aquila, Priscilla, greet you heartily in the Lord, with the church that is in their house. All of the brethren greet you, greet one another with a holy kiss. The greetings is in my own hand, Paul, And if anyone does not love the Lord, he is to be accursed, Maranatha. Grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. My love be with you all in Christ Jesus. Amen. Father, give us ears to hear and eyes to see the power that is here. Father, as we sung the power of the cross, Father, may that be the thing that overwhelms us. May that be the thing that invades our souls. And as Father, as we see the Apostle Paul show us love in the fellowship, may that become the passion, the addiction of your people to your glory, to your praise. Amen. This is one of those texts that we kind of read over and be done with. Conclusion of the letter. There's enough theology in here, enough good stuff in here. So I'm just overwhelmed. This is great. And now we're going to say goodbye and hi and... I love you. Okay? And that's the way we do the end of this book. But if you look at this text, you will see that there is a bracket between verse 14 and 23. And that bracket is, let all that you do be done in love. And he concludes it with, my love be with you in Christ Jesus. All right? So... You frame that between those two statements and you have eight points that I've given you there that is love in the fellowship. This is definitely not a loving church. Okay, On their best day, they were not a loving church. They had suits going on. The Christians were suing each other. Um, people were taking their liberties and running over other people. And, you know, I was causing you to stumble and you just need to grow up and get over it. Uh, they were perverting the Lord's table. They were taking the potlucks that they had and they become drunken feasts. They were taking spiritual gifts and perverting them. They had no idea what love is. And it left them open to 
understanding and philosophies and illustrations and ideologies that were corrupting the society in which the church existed in. And I literally see the church in America today as the clone to the church in Corinth. I, I just, I just really don't understand, um, and and I, I, I just, I really struggle with it. I mean, you, you don't think so? I'll ask you one silly question. In the body of Christ today, the church, is there ignorance concerning spiritual gifts? Then what do you do with chapter twelve, verse one? I don't want you to be ignorant of spiritual gifts. Something not working. And I know what it is. The church has no concept or clue of what selflessness is. We, get, we, we, we read the, the 13th chapter. The love chapter. And we always want to do that. You know, somebody's getting married. Let's read 13. And I keep thinking, why would you want to read that? Because it deals with the church. It ain't got nothing to do with being married. Why would you want to read that? All right. And what do you do with the one that says, consider others more important than yourself? That's the summary of love. All right. And I, you know, and I, there's that part of me that says, you know, two people are getting married. They're looking at all the positives. They don't want to read 13. <laughs> it endures. It takes no record of wrongs. You don't want that. <laughs> you don't want me looking at that just yet. Okay. After your first year. Six months. But what are marks in the love of the church? I hear people today, I could take 50 Christians and ask them, how do you know that love exists in this fellowship of believers? And I'd probably get 50 answers, and I wonder how many of them would even be right. Because you and I have developed what we perceive is love, and we define it, and then we want to transpose that. This is what a loving church Looks like. First thing I showed you was evangelism. Why? The household of Stephanus were first fruits of Achaia. First fruits here means that, you know what? God has promised a harvest. There will be souls reached for Jesus Christ. And I can prove it because the whole household of Stephanus got saved. Okay, now when he speaks of household, that would be his wife, his children, and his slaves. The whole household. Now, let me tell you something. True salvation invades a life. It will have an impact on the people around them. And that's why you get the household gets saved. So if there's love in the fellowship, and I'm talking about the love that God sent His only begotten Son to die for your sins. That's the love I'm talking about. Then you will have an overwhelming desire to share the good news with all lost people. Because you will look at lost people, and I don't care who they are. You will look at those people saying they have this desperate place that they are in. And the only way to get out of that place is salvation through Jesus Christ. How could I not? That would be like if I had to cure for all diseases, but I'm not going to share it. Well, how loving is that person? And yet, you know what? You have the cure for all diseases. You have the ability to watch people enter into eternal life. Second thing is service. 
service. We looked at this last week. Uh, you know, I, I, when I preach a message, <laughs> normally when you, you preach, and, and, and I've been through this for years, um, people will come up to you after the message and say, thanks, I needed that, or that was encouraging, or you were right on, or something like that. Last week's message, nobody said nothing to me. <laughs> it, it was kind of funny. Uh, feel sorry for you, but it's kind of funny. Okay, because, you know, that one, and I knew it was going to be that way. Why? Because you look at these words that are here, um, devoted themselves. The whole household of Stephanus had devoted themselves. Okay, now you can take it in its general terms. It just means put everything in line. But the word themselves was in there, and that means that they did it without anybody appointing them. They looked at the body of Christ as this massive privilege and they said, this I will do. And they did it to this degree. The literal root word of tasso is addiction. They did it with an addiction. And if you've ever been around an addict, you know what I'm talking about. They have a habit that they are dependent on and they are overwhelmed by it. And it becomes so normal for them that for them to have normal, they will be addicted to this drug or alcohol or whatever it is. This household was addicted to the serving of the saints of Jesus Christ. And I looked at what service is. What is service? Because a lot of people will, ministry. What is the ministry? You will hear people tell me, well, I have a music ministry. Really, where's that in the Bible? Because when I look at ministry or service, I find gifts. The using of spiritual gifts is a ministry. You minister through your gifts, through supernatural enabling. You know what's another one that is a ministry in the body of Christ that I would like to see an addiction to? Giving. Yeah, that's where you get all the amens, eh? <laughs> Amen, bro. <laughs> I have an overwhelming urge to give. Giving is ministry. Encouraging other people is ministry. Meeting physical needs is ministry. The Word of God delivered is a ministry. And it says in Colossians that we all do all of them. Okay, question is... Are you addicted like the household of Stephanus? Because that's service. The number one priority in a body of believers and a Christian should be serving the body of Christ that they've had the privilege to be joined to. And it should be an addiction. Now you know why last week's message didn't have a lot of attaboys. And it was really tough to get amen, amen. All right. This brings me to verse 16. That you also be in subjection to such men and to everyone who helps in the work and labors. Okay, now we're going to get practical. What does love in the fellowship look like? Well, there's evangelism, okay, and there's service. And now we have that wonderful word that we all just love to hear, especially as Americans, submission. We love being in subjection to somebody. Okay, 
If you look at an addicted household, that is the first fruits, they serve the saints. And if you look at them, you will do what? You want to read your text? When you find a household of believers that are the first fruits of the salvation of Christ, they are serving and you should what? Submit to them. We do well with that, don't we? We just line up. So I'm submitted. I'm right there. You submit yourself to these kind of people. And everybody else that helps in the work of the church. In the church of Jesus Christ, we are to submit to the people who are like this. Who are addicted to the service of Christ. Service of the body. See, what Paul is telling us today is that godly people will set the pace for the church. And it is our responsibility to submit under that pace. Okay, and we struggle with this. We should get under and submit ourselves to these people. We should find them. Submission is a vital part of the church. Did you know that? They have classes that they teach now on how to get the laity to serve. Why would that be a problem? I mean, I would get him to repent. Ooh, did he say that? Yeah. Because if they repent, what would they do? Serve. And you know what they would do willingly and line up for? To be submitted to those who have set a godly pace. The church's life is literally reduced to submission. That's all it is. Think about it. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 23. Wives are to submit to their husbands. Okay? 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 4. Children are to submit to their parents in all things. You know what all things are, right? Kids said, not me. I don't have any idea what all things are. <laughs> I haven't even found the first thing. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. Believers are to submit to every ordinance of men, whether it be the kings or the governor, governors or all the rest. You know, I'm supposed to what? Absolutely. You submit. The one that I really like... comes out of the letter to the Hebrews, chapter 13, verse 7. Make a note of this one, please. Remember those who led, who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. You want me to read that one again? Because we, we struggle with that one. I know we struggle with it. I've been around long enough to know that we struggle with it. Why? Well, it just sounds like you're trying to control. No, I'm trying to tell you what the Word of God says. 
It says, remember those who led you and who spoke the word of God to you and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Verse 17 of that same text says, obey your leaders and submit to them for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable for you. You ever thought about that? When you look at your spiritual leaders, do you submit to them? So that they can lead in joy? Just a question. Just a question. I'm just telling you what the text says. You don't like the text? Just mark that part out of yours. We struggle with this. And, and, and I think, if I'm not mistaken, it killed the church in Europe. It killed the church in England. And it's killing the church in America. But if I go to Russia, it is amazing. And that was, wasn't they like an atheist place? They line up. Do you know that in Russia, young people are not allowed to date? If you want a wife or a husband, then you will be serving in the body of Christ. And one day you'll bump into somebody just like Alexi in the letter that I read you. And then you know what they do? You are not allowed to go anywhere unless you have a married couple with you. My interpreters was there the first, second trip, one of the trips that I was there. And my interpreters were there and they were going to get married. They want to be married. You know, they got to get their education. He's got military service to do and all the rest of it. But they want to get married. And I, my train was leaving to go back to Moscow about midnight one night. Foggy, cold, nasty night. And they wanted to come and say goodbye to me at the train station. They had to go get a deacon and his wife out of the church to escort them down to the train station to meet me. So that they could come say goodbye to me. And you know why they do that? Because the pastors tell them that's how you protect yourself and I'm doing it for your own good. And you know what their response is? Good idea. Try that in America. I think it's a great idea. You think about it. I've had people leave this congregation and they don't come and seek the elders for con, you know, counsel on it. They just come and tell you what they're going to do. And you look at it and think, well, I think that's a bad idea. Well, now all of a sudden you're the enemy. I'm sitting there going, well, wait a minute. Do we submit to those who have rule over us? How about those who have to give an account for your souls? Do you submit to them? First Peter chapter five, verse five says the younger are to submit to the older in the congregation. Try that. Because the younger in the congregation want to have more younger people. Why? So we can all repeat the same stupid mistakes that the older people already have done. And that's true. You know what? 
Dr. Stephen Olford was a dear, dear friend of mine, and he said that he went to Japan, and, and he had a tremendous ministry in, in Japan. And he says, when he got, now he, you're talking a little Welsh guy, about that tall, made me feel like I was in the NBA, um, and had white hair. And I'm not talking silver hair, I'm talking white hair. Okay? I mean, it, 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 you just had to have seen it. All right? But when he got to Tokyo, it's a, it's, Tokyo's got a whole bunch of people and a lot of them are cranky and on caffeine. All right? And, and you try to catch a cab someplace and if he walked up to catch a cab and somebody held a cab, they would step back and let that man with the wisdom on his head go ahead of them because they honored the older people. And these are non-believers, but that's how their culture is. Try that in America. We have people in the body of Christ today who believe that that's an old-fashioned way of worshiping. You know, you need to have contemporary now. Why? Just a question. Did you ever see it when Eli's sons went and worshiped the way they wanted to? That was a strange mixture. But you have these people who have a track record, who have been through things that will come to you. And why don't you submit to those? Well, they don't know. They're old. You know, I, I got people today says, I cannot believe you write your sermons by hand. Why don't you use a word processor? <laughs> Great. You ever see me type? Dude, you think my sermons are long now? I remember a friend of mine, we were doing a conference and he was preaching off of a Palm Pilot. And the text would just roll through. And he had this little thing. And I thought, wow, that's cool. But then one day, on I think the second or third day we were up there, he got up there and started doing his little Palm Pilot thing. And the battery quit. And he stops dead sentence and says, huh, anybody got a Bible? <laughs> yeah, interesting concept. <laughs> Why? You think that the older people, well, they don't know how to do this. And, and what is it? We Twitter now or on Facebook page or whatever. I don't I, Who thought up them names? But anyway, we, well, you don't do that, huh? And I got people who will send me texts on my phone. I can tell you this right now. You're wasting your time. If I don't have my glasses, I can't see it. And I already annoyed enough with computer stuff that I'm not going to sit there and push three to see which letter I get. All right. No, if you want to type me a text, you can shoot for email. I would go with letter. I know that's odd. Put a stamp on it and mail it to me. Why? I'll probably get it quicker. All right? I'm just not interested in it. Why? I'm an electrician by my original trade, and I know how dependent we are on electricity. And when the electricity quits, we are going to be a bunch of dummies. And you know what I've learned? My pencils and my ink pens and my paper are always there. They never run out of power. Why wouldn't we listen to the older people? You know what? If you look at the body of Christ, we are all submitting somewhere. I mean, employees are to submit to their employers as unto the Lord. You know what? There's a phenomenon going on in Russia right now that they've got most of the employees are deadbeats. But what they've learned is these believers, and they call it a sect, okay? 
You're either Russian Orthodox or you're a sect. But what they found is this sect of believers take work as a sacred duty. And so when they're doing their jobs, they are doing it as unto the Lord and they're extraordinarily productive. It is not uncommon in Russia. If you got the money and you want to build a house, and I'm talking about an average house. You're probably looking at 900 to 1100 square feet. It is not uncommon for that house to take five years to complete. Because of the work ethic. Try that. I never build your house. It only take five years to get done. We'll live in this hole in the wall until then. Kate? Add a strength in your marriage. <laughs> but, but they realize that you can get these Christians and they are doing things like they're supposed to be doing it for God or something. That's an interesting thought, doesn't it? You know, I have people when you bring up that you guys are to submit to the leadership of the church. And everybody says, that's how people get manipulated. It's how cults are formed. We'll all end up in Waco, Texas with ATF outside. Okay, because we submitted to you and look, you led us astray. The problem is, who do the leadership submit to? I'll give you a phrase that has haunted me to this day. The phrase is that I must give an account for your souls. And you know what? I just don't think that's fair. Well, I don't. Because some of you got some tough souls. And you just look at it and say, well, that one ain't mine. That one's yours, Lord. You deal with it. Now listen, what kind of accountability is that? You try it. You try it. And I got people who say, well, I'd like to have a mega church. Not me, man. I'd like to have five. I don't mean families. Five people. <laughs> Sorry. See, that's part of the church. We're not a bunch of people trying to get to the top. We're not a bunch of people trying to be, quote unquote, successful. I know a guy right now who pastors a church of 16,000. And I thought, are you nuts? But he's been there for 40 years. And um, when he took over the church, the reason that the church hired him was he was young. They had just buried two pastors um, that were older guys, and they were taking care of the widows, and they just wanted somebody who would have some endurance. Okay, so they didn't have another widow to have to take care of. And when he took over this congregation, it was running about 100 people. I said, what was you praying for? He says, I was praying that I didn't lose the 100. And I said, well, I'm thinking that prayer got answered. <laughs> I mean, okay, think about that. Now, don't get me wrong. He's got an elder body. 
Um, and, and I think they've got uh, 150 to 200 deacons. Um, I mean, it works well. I don't know how many pastoral staff there is, but, but it's taken almost 40 years to get to that position. But what you find there is that everybody is submitted. Yeah, you got the cursory people. You got 16,000 people cruising through. I mean, they do, you know, about 8,000 per worship service and they do three worship services on Sunday morning. So you've got the ins and out people and those who says, well, I just want to be here because, you know, you guys got some press or whatever. And you got some stuff like that. That's fine. But you look at the core. They will not do the Lord's table on Sunday. Okay. And here's the reason they won't do it on Sunday. It says, you should not take this thing in a one worthy manner. And he says, if you really want to be with part of Christ, then we'll do the Lord's table on Wednesdays. Right? Why? He says, I just don't want people falling over dead in the congregation that are partaking of the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. I was like, well, that'd probably get you some bad press there. <laughs> what kind of grape juice was you serving? Okay, but you see what I'm trying to get at? They won't do it. And I mean, and then they only get like 6,000 people. And you know that they can serve Lord's table to 6,000 people in about 10 minutes? I don't know how he'd do that. What, you, Lord's table here, we've got a squirt gun and open up. I don't know how you do that. I do know how they do it. They, ha they have these stacking trays like you see here, except they're about three and a half feet tall, and there's about nine stacks of them, and they got a whole bunch of deacons. Okay? And I mean, it's just like, whoa. See, we... The body of Christ needs to be a bunch of people who get under the right people. The church is not a power play. It's not people struggling to get control. It's not struggling to be powerful. I remember people came to me one time and said, you know what, I believe we're becoming more spiritual than you and we're about ready to catch up to you and your spiritual understanding. <laughs> and they said, well, what do you think? You know, maybe... Maybe my husband should be an elder. That was the statement that was made to me. I said, well, actually, what I think it should do, I think you guys should just pass me right on by. Hurry up. I'll follow you. Okay? Something wrong with that picture right there. There is something wrong with that picture right there. Listen, if you know that you have to give an account for the souls entrusted to you, do you want that job? You better think hard about that. That is a, that's a tough, I got to do what? But I thought you were going to build a church. People struggling. It, it should be people struggling to get under the right kind of model, to, to, to get under the right kind of example. Find these people and get in there. Find a guy like the household of Stephanus, a house like his, and submit to that kind of living. That's the way the church is to work. Now tell me, is that an abstract picture today? Because if it isn't, then I'm missing something. Godly people at the top and there should be a mad rush to see who can get up under them. 
That should be the body of Christ. Someone comes and comes to you and says, would you have time to disciple me? Why? You are proclaiming and you are portraying it. You're saying it and I'm seeing it. And you should find those and just wham. See, that's the right spirit. I want to get under somebody. I want to learn from you. I want to grow in you. Not people wanting to get on top. See, the greatest is the least. Okay, Jesus Christ made a statement one time, and you've got to ask yourself about this statement. He says, this would be the greatest man born of woman. Who was it? John the Baptist. Do you know why? I do. I do. He told his disciples. The ones that were paying him. The ones that were making sure he had food. He had clothes. That were taking care of him. Who were following him. He says, you, my disciples, follow him. And he says, I must decrease. He must increase. You know what that is? That's submission. I don't want my ministry anymore. Follow his. The church is designed to be a whole group of people just fighting to see who can submit. You know what? (laughs) That would end all the hassles. They'd all be gone. You know, I've, I've told people before. You know, I'm not getting along with this person. I'm not getting along with this person. I said, you know what? I can make your life right now that you will never, ever, ever have an argument or a disagreement with anybody ever again. I can tell you how to do it right now. You will never have a disagreement, an argument. Really? Yeah. Consider everyone else more important than you. Now, if you want to go try that... Have at it. I pray that you get addicted to it. See, I want to show you something here because in in your text, back to 1 Corinthians, we looked at this word last week, tasso, that you see there. They had the household of Stephanus had tassoed themselves to the ministry. They had addicted themselves to the ministry. Okay, now if you look down there and you see that they, that you also being in subjection, you will find that that is another form of that verb tasso. Okay, except there's a, a, a thing to it. It literally means hyper addicted. Got that? That household, the first fruits. I need to make that person a habit in my life that I become dependent on. Well, no, wait! That's blasphemy! We are supposed to be dependent on Christ! Okay, I'll let you struggle with this one then. 
Chapter 3 of Philippians, verse 13, says this, Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on to the goal, the prize, the upper call of God in Christ. Let us, therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude. If there's anything you have a different attitude, God will reveal it to you. However... Let us keep living by that same standard that we have attained. Brethren, join in following my example and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk, of whom I've often told you, and now tell you even weeping, that are enemies of the cross. You know what he just said there? He says, I haven't arrived, but you need to follow me. And he says, and those that you see that realize they have not arrived, you need to follow them. One of the things when I became an elder in this church a long time ago, one of the texts that was laid upon me in a painful way came out of this same letter, chapter 4, verse 9 of the letter to the Philippians. The things you have learned and received and heard And seen in me, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. You know what that's saying? One of these days I'm going to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ in glory. And I will have to say, you know, everybody says, well, you're going to see your life flash back before you. No, I ain't ain't buying that. But anyway, you know what you will have to do? I'll have to give an account. What? What? Because, Lord, you see all them people back there? That just like me. Will that bring him shame? Will that bring him honor? Because that's discipleship, brothers and sisters. And that's what we have all been called to. That's why when I find people who are godly, I make that person a habit. It's a beautiful picture of the church. Yes, there are many false. Paul said that. But you know what? It's really easy to spot them. (laughs) They usually don't have the Bible with them. All right? And it goes back to those who are proclaiming and portraying the Word of God. It's that simple. I know a lot of people who can speak Christianese and I watch their lives and says, you don't believe what you're saying. I ain't following you. See, we need to line up and let everybody else fall underneath. You know what happens? When you find godly people and you get plugged into them and you start following them and they, you addict yourself to them, you will rise to that level. And you'll turn around and look and see others following your example. Well, we do mentoring. What the heck is that? I like Bible dress. I like discipleship. I find people. And you know what? I've got people that I chase now 
Like Robert Murray McShane, who lived in the 1500s, John Calvin, who lived in the 1500s, uh, uh, Robert Linsky, uh, Stephen Olford, John Knox, all of these men of God, and I look at them, I don't look at their doctrine. I look at their lives. And following their lives, I set a pattern to follow that. Now listen, I fall short, I have not arrived. I've not arrived. Find a godly person, find somebody and addicted to the Lord's work, and you'll find them there around. Get your life underneath them. Make that pattern normal part of your life. Paul to the Corinthians, be followers of me as I am of Christ. One that is really good comes out of the Gospel of Luke. Chapter 6, verse 40, A pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone after he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Get the right person. Become addicted to what they're doing. And guess what? You have a guarantee from God that you'll be like that person. Get the wrong person and you're in trouble. Submit yourself. You know what? Tell me that ain't tough. Paul wanted the selfless, the selfish, unsubmissive Corinthians to submit to his model and follow his example. That's what he wanted. And you know what? You and I, every one of us is called to do the same. To get under those who set the pace that is before us. To be a model in our lives after their faith, that pattern. Find them. Hebrews 13, 7. You know, who am I to submit? Submit to the one who proclaims and portrays the Word of God. Find them and follow their faith. Be an example to believers. Paul was to Timothy. He trained up Timothy, and guess what? Set the pace. Here we go. We're off and running. See, and you know what? I, this is basic in the church. It is basic. Where there's love in the body of Christ, in the fellowship of the saints, you'll do this, and there's not fighting for your own rights, our own privileges, our own times. We need to be under people. We find those who are godly. Grow to be more like them because they are more like Christ than we are. See, there's evangelism. There's addiction to serving the saints. The needs of the saints would be met when that is stepped into. And there will be submission to everyone who proclaims and portrays the Word of God. Listen, it does. Listen, I really wish people would understand this. It is easy to spot a person living for Christ. It is so easy. Why? It is so against everything that is around you. They are submissive. They are humble. They have everybody else's concerns as ahead of them. How does that fit in our society today? That is a non-existent teaching. I don't understand that. They're easy to spot. Don't live your life without having a pattern to follow. By the way, 
when you get addicted to this, submitting to those who are living godly, you'll find that you have someone following you who's watching you. And you will pour yourself into that person. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. I thank you for my brother Paul who set a pace for all of us. Father, may we be found worthy walking in the majesty and power and exaltation of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Father, let us submit. Break these hard hearts, these selfish desires. And Father, allow us to walk to you and you alone. I praise you, Lord, for this time, for your love, for your grace, and for your mercy. To your glory, in Christ's name, amen.